Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of Killer Instinct. My name is Savannah Brimer. I am your host on Killer Instinct. If you're new here, go ahead real quick and hit the subscribe button. That way you never miss an episode. We are on episode three of Hollow Week, you guys, and this is a big one today. Today, as you can tell by the title of today's episode, we are talking about the West Memphis Three. And this case is one that has been heavily requested by you guys in my emails and DMs. This is one that always gets talked about, and that is the West Memphis Three case. And if you haven't heard of the West Memphis Three case, this is an extremely frustrating and heartbreaking case involving the murder of three boys in West Memphis, Arkansas in 1993. And a lot of people have very different opinions on this case, and there's a lot of controversy that surrounds this case as well. So with that being said, let's dive right on into it. So this case revolves around three eight-year-old boys. They are Stephen Branch, James Michael Moore, and Christopher Byers. So Stephen Branch, who was also called Stevie, was born to his parents, Pamela and Stephen Branch, on November 28th of 1984. So his parents ended up getting a divorce right after Stephen was born, and his mom got custody of Stephen. She then went on to marry a man named Terry Hobbs, and the two of them had a daughter together. Stephen had blonde hair, blue eyes, and was an honors student in his second grade class. His classmates really liked him, and he was described as being friendly and outgoing. So Christopher Byers was also known as Chris, and he was born on June 23rd, 1984, to his parents, Melissa and Ricky. And his parents also got divorced when Chris was four years old, and then his mother married a man named John Byers, who then went on to adopt Chris. And Chris was diagnosed with ADHD and was on some medication for that. And at this time, he had recently became friends with Stephen and Mike. So James Michael Moore, who went by Mike, his parents were Todd and Dana Moore, and he was born on July 27th, 1984. Michael had brown hair and was a Boy Scout, which he loved. He loved being a Boy Scout more than anything. He wore his uniform even when he wasn't in Boy Scout meetings. He would just wear it out. He would wear it to school. He loved it. So now let's talk about May 5th, 1993. So on this day, Pamela and Amanda, who was Stephen's sister, had walked Stephen home from school and they got back home about 2.30 p.m. And Stephen started doing his homework while Pamela was doing dinner. And it was about at 3 o'clock p.m. that Mike had come over to Stephen's house. They all lived fairly close to each other. So Mike had come over to Stephen's house and asked if he could go ride bikes with him. Stephen had recently gotten a bike from his grandfather and he was so excited about this bike. So Pamela agreed that he could go, but she had to leave for work at 4.30 p.m. She worked at a Catfish Island restaurant and her shift started at 5 that night. So Stephen agreed to be back by 4.30. So not too long after this, Stephen and Mike left Stephen's house, but then Chris had actually gone over to Stephen's house to see if Stephen also wanted to play. And that was about at 3.30 p.m. So right after the boys left almost. And that's when Pamela told him that both boys had gone out to play and he could go find them if he wanted to. So Chris was going to go out and find Stephen and Mike, but he realized that Stephen's sister Amanda was actually watching an episode of one of Chris's favorite TV shows, which was called The Muppet Babies. So he asked Pamela if he could stay and watch an episode with Amanda before leaving, which Pamela agreed to. So Chris watched an episode before leaving the house at about 4 o'clock p.m. to go find the boys. So Chris was riding his skateboard, and while he was riding through the 
the neighborhood, he was actually riding it on his stomach, which isn't the safest because cars can't see you and you could get hit. It's just not safe. And John Byers, Chris's dad, ended up seeing Chris ride this on his stomach. And he actually ended up pulling over because he was driving and that's how we saw him. He ended up pulling over, put Chris in the car and gave him a pretty decent beating. He then told Chris to go home and clean up the backyard and then he could go out and play with his friends, which Chris ended up doing. So he ended up going back to his house and his mom remembers seeing Chris come in and out of the house, but she was on the phone. So she didn't really know what he was doing or what he wanted, but he kept on coming in and out of the house before he ended up leaving again to go find Mike and Steven. So Stephen was supposed to be home at 4.30, but he never ended up making it home then. The boys stayed out and played and multiple neighbors saw them and then move on to about 6 o'clock, 6.30. Neighbors said that they saw Terry walk over to Chris, Stephen, and Mike and tell them that it was time to come home. So where the boys lived, there was an area called Robin Hood Hills that they would often play near. And Robin Hood Hills was kind of like a wooded area um, in the neighborhood. There was also a creek in there and it wasn't like the most well-kept place. It wasn't the safest place to stay, but a lot of people and a lot of kids usually did anyways. But at about six o'clock PM that night, Dana, which is Michael's mom, she had been cooking dinner and she wanted Michael to come home. So she told his 10-year-old sister, who was also named named Dana to go out and get Michael on her bike and bring him home. And when she went out to go find Michael, she couldn't find either of the boys anywhere. The boys knew not to go too far off and they usually all stayed and played like in within the neighborhood. So they wouldn't have gone off too far, but Dana couldn't find them. But what Dana did say though, is that when she was riding her bike, she ended up passing three teenage boys. She said that two of these boys were black and one of them was white. And the one who was white was wearing a yellow and black t-shirt and yellow and black shorts. She said that when she was riding her bike, these boys asked if she wanted a shot, which freaked her out at the time because she was only 10 years old but she kept on riding and ended up going home, not finding any of the boys. And once it got to be around 6.30 p.m. and none of the boys had returned home at all, their families really started to freak out and they started to search for them. And they also ended up calling the police. This town was very small. It is very small and nothing like this ever happened. People didn't go missing. People considered this a very safe place to be. And so when this happened, it really shook everyone. And because it was getting dark outside at this point on May 5th, police really didn't do a real search until May 6th of the following day. There was a pretty extensive search in Robin Hood Hills and there was a parole officer named Steve Jones and he was searching through the wooded area and he came across a sneak which looked like it belonged to a young boy. So he went a little further into the woods and then he met up with a creek. And when he got to this creek, he ended up putting his foot into the water and he ended up getting it caught on something. And when he was trying to get his foot out and it, cause his foot kind of got stuck and he was trying to get his foot out and he figured out what was going on. He realized that he had gotten caught on one of the boy's bodies. So after that had happened, all three of the boys' bodies were discovered and their condition, you guys, was unfathomable. They were all found without clothes and they had been hogtied using their own shoelaces. Their clothes were found scattered around the creek and the autopsy showed that Chris had died from knife injuries and Chris's injuries were probably, as far as physically goes, the most gruesome. He had been mutilated and he had multiple lacerations all over his body. Stephen and Michael's autopsy showed that both of them had died from drowning and Michael's body was the one that was found in the creek 
bike which the parole officer had found. And when police did more searching in the area that the bodies were found in, they were able to discover that they believed that the boys weren't taken from somewhere and brought to this area and that is where the murder took place. So it wasn't like they were riding around in this area and then they were taken here to get murdered or their bodies weren't staged in a specific way where they had to be in this area. It just so happened that they were in this area and that is where the murder occurred. So police were now looking at how the boys were tied up and how these knots were made essentially. And what they were able to figure out was each knot was different, which indicated to them that this was more than a one person job and there was more than one killer. Along with that, it would have been pretty difficult for one person to hold all three boys at once without one of them running away or calling for help or getting or escaping or something. It was way more likely that there was more than one person to help keep the boys together. Together. So like I said, this was a very small town and this small town never expected anything like this to ever happen. There were a lot of rumors surrounding the fact that what happened to the boys could have been part of a satanic ritual, mainly because of the mutilation and because there had been rumors of satanic rituals being performed in Robin Hood Hills to begin with. But with that being said, there wasn't any evidence ever to prove that this murder was a satanic ritual. The boys had been mutilated and Chris suffered a lot from knife-related injuries. But with all of this talk of Satanism going on, it made a lot of people begin to call in tips to the police of people that they thought could possibly do something like this. And one name that got called in was a man named Damien Eccles. So Damien was the type of person who dressed in all black. He listened to very dark music. He was a pretty dark person all the way around. And those facts alone led a lot of people to believe that he could have done something like this because what you have to realize is that this was a very small and conservative Christian town in the early 1990s and the people who were into things like Damien was into raised a lot of red flags in people's mind but it big tipping point for police to bring Damien in in the first place is that Damien had a girlfriend named Domini and his girlfriend's aunt who was named Narlene said that she saw Damien leaving Robin Hood Hills at 9 p.m. and that he was covered in mud. Something to also note about Damien is that he suffered with severe mental health issues. In 1992, he was sentenced by a court order to a psychiatric hospital and he had a 500 page long mental health evaluation. He also had the words evil written on his knuckles and like they were tattooed and there was a circumstance when he was younger and he was in detention in school and someone had cut their wrist and Damien had actually grabbed the person's wrist and started sucking the blood out of it. There's no lie that that is extremely odd and weird behavior, but does that mean that he had something to do with it? No, not exactly, but does it look good for him? No. So police brought Damien in for questioning and Damien said that he was at home during the time of the murders and that he was talking to his friends on the phone. But when police interviewed his friends, some of them said that they never heard from him that night. So Damien's telling police that he was on the phone with his friends the entire night, but some of those people that he said that he called said that they never talked to him that night. When asking Damien's grandma where he was that night, she said that he was out at about 8 p.m. from the best of her memory, which also debunks Damien's alibi, because if he was out and left the house at 8 p.m., 
He wasn't at home making phone calls. You see what I'm saying? So when questioning Damien, he very much had an arrogant attitude towards the whole situation in the beginning. He acted very cocky when police were trying to talk to him, but Damien wasn't the only one who got tied into these murders. So Damien's friends, Jesse Miss Kelly and Jason Baldwin were also questioned in this triple homicide. And something about Jesse Miss Kelly is that he has an extremely low IQ level. I'm talking like very, 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 very low. Jesse had many, many different stories that he told the police and his stories were all over the place. His timing was all over the place. The things that he was saying never made sense. But on June 3rd, he ended up confessing to the police saying that himself, Jason Baldwin and Damian Eccles were the ones that murdered the three boys. He said that Damian hit Chris Breyers in the head with his fist and Jason then hit Steven. He said that Michael Moore tried to run away, but he grabbed him before he was able to and brought him back and waited for Jason and Damien before leaving because he said he couldn't watch what the two of them were going to do to the boys. So to break it down, he's saying that Damien had Chris and Jason had Steven and he had Michael. And while Damien and Jason were attacking the boys, he had Michael and Michael tried to run away. He grabs Michael, brings him back, waits till Damien and Jason are done, and then leaves Michael with Damien and Jason before leaving because he didn't want to see what was going to happen to him. But here's the thing about this whole story. Jesse said that the attack happened that day at noon, which couldn't have been possible because the boys were all in school at that time. And the police had already figured out and they had already estimated that this attack happened anywhere from 6.30 to about 8.30 p.m. that night. And that's a pretty big time difference. Noon, it's light outside, you know, and 6.30, 8.30, it's getting dark, it's dark, it's nighttime. He told police that the boys had skipped school that day and that is when they found them at noon. So this case deals a lot with police coercion and this gets brought up a lot in this case and a lot of people have a problem with this case because of that. Um, And a lot of people believe that because Jesse had such a low IQ that he would have been easier to coerce in this. So basically they take the one that's going to be as easy to, you know, sway one way or the other than the other two. They know Jesse will probably crack first. So Jesse actually had a strong alibi that night. Out of all three of the guys, Jesse's was the strongest because he had actually been at a wrestling match that night in a town over and multiple people confirmed seeing him that night. So the timing doesn't match up. There's no way that Jesse could have murdered these boys if he was out at a wrestling match. And in Jesse's confession, which is very long and you can find it online if you want to read the whole thing. But Jesse says, like I said, that the attack happened around noon, but he also said that the boys had their bikes and that Chris was the only one who was mutilated. He says that Jason called him around 9 p.m. that night asking why Jesse left while Damien and Jason stayed during the rest of the attack. He said that all boys had been sexually assaulted and he also mentioned that he himself had been involved in a cult for about three months. Police have been under a lot of scrutiny for the way that they handled the crime scene of this case. It's been called sloppy and lazy by a lot of people. The police had moved the boys' bodies before the coroner ever even arrived, and police didn't even call the coroner until two hours after the bodies were found. And a lot of people think that this case was just way too much for the police to handle because it was such a small town and things like this never happened. There were bite marks on the boys that weren't even found until years 
years later after the trials were already finished and they weren't looked into by a certified medical examiner until four years after the murders and Damien, Jesse, and Jason all submitted their teeth imprints, which didn't match. But I will mention that there is a theory that because they were in the creek, that it is possible that wildlife or turtles, that's a big one, is the turtles, could have gone up to the boys and bit them, and that is what the bite marks are from. But yeah, Damien, Jesse, and Jason all submitted their teeth imprints, but they didn't match. And along with that, there was no DNA found at the crime scene from Damien, Jesse, or Jason. So Jesse's confession is what really linked all three boys to this case, and on August 4th of 1993, all three of them pleaded not guilty. Okay, we're going to take a short break, but we will be right back with more of the Killer Instinct podcast. Imagine an app designed to make you use it less. Seems a little counterproductive, right? Well, Apartments.com's Instant Alert feature works exactly that way. Instead of scanning rental listings a million times a day, simply set and forget your search to whatever you're looking for in a place and let Apartments.com do the rest. From pet-friendly apartments to balconies to in-unit ACs, Apartments.com's powerful search tools let you know when the perfect combination of features you're seeking is listed. So you don't have to power through rental descriptions one by one. With more rental listings than anywhere else, Apartments Apartments.com's instant alerts mean that you can spend less time looking for the perfect place and more time on just doing you. Apartments.com, the place to find a place. All right, you guys, welcome back. So Jesse's confession was what really linked all three boys to this case, and they ended up getting arrested for it, and they had to go to trial. So then on August 4th of 1993, all three of them pleaded not guilty. So Damien and Jason had their trial together, but Jesse was the only one who had his trial separate. So it was Damien and Jason's trial, and then Jesse's trial was separate. Jesse's trial was three weeks prior to Damien and Jason's, and Jesse's trial had a lot of discussion of police coercion and false confessions, but on February 5th, 1994, Jesse Miss Kelly was convicted of one count of first-degree murder and two counts of second-degree murder and was sentenced to life plus 40 years in prison. Then three weeks later, Damien and Jason also went to trial, and on March 19th, 1994, Damien and Jason were also found guilty on three counts of murder and Jason was sentenced to life in prison while Damien was actually sentenced to death. And considering the lack of physical evidence, this conviction was pretty insane if you think about it. Like there was no physical evidence that the boys were ever there. It was just all based off of Jesse's confession, really. And Jesse's confession, a lot of people think were was coerced. Also, Jesse was not in Robin Hood Hills that night. He was at a wrestling match, so the whole thing doesn't even really make a lot of sense. And a lot of people think that Jesse, Damien, and Jason were kind of just assumed to have done this because of the lifestyle that they had. Like I said, we talked about Damien's lifestyle. He was into darker things. He wore all black, listened to dark music. Jesse said that he was involved in a cult. You know, they weren't the average people in this society. So a lot of people think that they were just kind of pinned to this because of the way that they live. So before we move on, let's talk about some some of the other possible suspects in this case because I know these guys have already been convicted but their story is not over yet so let's touch on some other possibilities. So the first major other possibility is Mark Byers, Chris's stepfather. 
So remember how we touched on those bite marks that were found on the boys? Well, right after the boys had been found, Mark had his teeth removed and he ended up getting a set of dentures. And some people believe that the boys had to be around someone that they trust during this whole process because a lot of people believed why would they go into Robin Hood Hills by themselves unless it was someone kind of taking them back there, being like, come with me. And it had to be someone that they trust. So a lot of people thought Mark Byers definitely could have been someone they thought was safe to be around at the time. Another thing I want to mention is that Chris's mom actually died of unknown causes super randomly. The whole thing was really, really weird. And she went into the hospital and the doctors weren't able to figure out what was wrong with her and she ended up dying. And a lot of people believe that this is not a coincidence, but it should be known also that Mark Byers did have an alibi that day. The teeth thing is really what gets a lot of people here because they think that Mark does decided to remove his teeth and get dentures that way they wouldn't be able to track it back to him like if they tested the bite marks and tried to see whose teeth it could have possibly been mark would already have had a new set of teeth so it wouldn't trace back to him Mark has actually been very vocal of the fact that he does not believe that Damien, Jesse, and Jason were responsible for the murders of the boys, Um, but he does believe that Terry Hobbs could have had something to do with it. So Terry Hobbs, which was Stephen's stepfather, is also a big possibility here. So Terry has a history of aggression and violence. His whole background is really messed up. There's a lot of accusations against him of sexual assault and aggression and domestic violence. But in 2007, there was actually DNA evidence found and there was a piece of hair that was tied up in the shoelaces that Michael Moore was tied up in. And there had been a reporter who had gone and talked to Terry Hobbs one day. It's not clear if it was a reporter or a police officer, but someone had gone and talked to Terry Hobbs one day and grabbed his cigarette bud. And through that, they were able to match the hair that was found in the shoelaces to Terry, which if you think about it, doesn't make a lot of sense because if it was Michael Moore's shoelaces, why was Terry's hair in Michael Moore's shoelaces? That's not his son. It just didn't make sense at all. And it was the only piece of evidence and the only piece of DNA that was found on the scene. And some thing to also note is that Stephen was terrified of Terry. The two of them did not have a good relationship whatsoever, and Stephen was really, really afraid of him. Stephen's sister Amanda really didn't like Terry either. There was also an incident where Terry was caught breaking into his neighbor's house while she was taking a bath, going into her bathroom, and when she screamed, he tried to shush her and grope her before he ran off because she wouldn't stop screaming. Terry had also confessed to backhanding his wife multiple times because he was upset that Stephen would get more attention from her than he did. And not only that, Terry Hobbs was actually, like I said, the last person to have seen the boys that day. Mark Byers even called Terry Hobbs a baby killer. So you might be wondering why we are talking about other possible suspects if Damien, Jesse, and Jason were already convicted, they were already in jail, there's no really question about it, but they actually got released on August 19th, 2011. Damien, Jesse, and Jason, who had been trying to have a retrial for years, entered an Alford plea, which essentially means that they accepted a guilty plea while also maintaining their innocence, which is kind of confusing, but that is what they used to end up getting their freedom back and getting them out of jail. Um, So the judge sentenced them to 18 years and 78 days, which is the amount of time that they had already served when they were released from prison 
prison. So they didn't have to serve any more time, but they already had served 18 years in prison, which Damien, Jesse, and Jason were all 18 and 19 years old when this happened. So they really spent half of their lives in prison. And Jesse's sentence was reduced to three counts of first degree murder as well. It was capital murder when he was first charged. And despite what Jesse said, which the men now say was coerced by the police, all three of these men have always maintained their innocence and have said that they are not guilty of this murder. Mark Byers actually stands by the West Memphis Three and believes that they were not responsible for these murders. And this whole situation, this whole releasing these men from jail caused a huge uproar of confusion and sadness, but also celebration as well for some people who believe that these three boys or men at this point had nothing to do with this. But with that being said, there also are a lot of people who think that they got away with one of the most horrific crimes in U.S. history. And there was a lot of people who say that this was a result of police coercion and a lazy investigation. Damien has, since his release, been very public about this whole situation and about his whole experience and going through everything. He's always maintained his innocence. And I've watched some of the interviews and I really don't know where I stand on all of this but in the interviews he really does seem like a nice guy he has since had a son they moved to the east coast him his wife and his son with no um, plans to ever go back to Arkansas whether they were responsible for this or not regardless of anything there was not enough evidence to convict them if that makes sense like even if they did do this there was not enough evidence to prove that they did there has never been enough evidence to prove that anyone did the only piece of dna evidence is terry hobbs's piece of hair that was found in the shoestrings of michael moore in my personal opinion i think terry hobbs looks a lot more suspicious than the west memphis three and Jesse and Jason. I really, really, really encourage you guys to do some of your own research and watch some of Damien's um, interviews and watch some of the interviews that Mark Byers has done and watch some of the things that Terry Hobbs has said during court and definitely take the time to look back um, and do some research of your own so that way you can form your own opinion. This one really stumps me. Um, it stumps a lot of people. It's confused a lot of people. It's made a lot of people very, very angry, but I really want to know your opinion about it which is why I'm encouraging you to go and do some research of your own and form your own opinion, not just based off of this episode, but based off of the actual interviews of some of the people that we've talked about today because they are out there. Um, and with that being said, you guys, yeah, that is the third episode of Halloween. I hope you enjoyed it. I will be back tomorrow with another episode, so make sure you hit subscribe so you are notified. And with that being said, you guys, I hope you have a great rest of your day. Make sure you DM me all of your thoughts on this case. What do you think? What? Who do you think did it? Who do you think is responsible for this? Do you think that Damien, Jason, and Jesse should have stayed in jail? Do you think that they should never have been there in the first place? Let me know. You can DM me at, at Savannah Brimer or you can email me at killerinstinctpodcast at gmail.com. I will see you tomorrow, you guys. And with that being said, stay safe. <laughs>